Welcome to the Road to the Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the Olympic trials in 2024. And today we are continuing our Boston Marathon preview episodes with Danny Moreno. Danny, welcome back. Thanks. Happy to be back again. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. So we have plenty of stuff to talk about with Boston. However, since the last time you were on the show, which was really about two months ago, because we, we we held it because of the embargo with you announcing <laughs> for Adidas, which was really exciting. We had to hold on to the episode because we talked about Adidas in it. So we haven't talked in a while. And in the interim here, you actually raced a half marathon, the Ventura half, and you raced incredibly well. So let's just talk training before we get into the race. What was it like training for that race? Not only in terms of, we can talk about like workouts and stuff like that, but just the logistical nightmare that has enveloped both you and Nico in terms of living in living in Mammoth Lakes and everything that entails right now. Yeah, it's been a winter for the history books. Like literally, um, we've got record snowfall here in Mammoth and it made for, yeah, just a very tough overall training season for Boston. Uh, so when it came to the half, we originally were planning on the rock and roll Las Vegas half. Um, but even that week, there was a storm in the forecast. And I was a little hesitant to drive through the pass where that you would take from Mammoth to get to Las Vegas, because I wasn't sure if I'd be able to get back the same way or if I'd have to go all the way around. And to be honest, I at first was excited about Las Vegas, more so for the atmosphere. But I um, honestly just didn't want to go by myself. I had been on like a couple of trips by myself to different places um, and I'd been training by myself. And so the more that I talked about it with my coach, we were like, hey, you know, it's less of a drive, um, less potential, like getting stuck somewhere. If we go down to Ventura, um, there won't be like the same sort of like female competition that I was looking forward to at Rock and Roll Las Vegas. But I was going to have some friends there and family like cheering me on. And I just felt like that was a better place for me to to kind of just like do my first half in more than half a decade. <laughs> That's crazy. So how how far away is Ventura from where you grew up? From where I grew up, it's probably two hours north from okay. Los and Angeles. And does your family yeah. still live in that area? In Los Angeles, no. Uh, they moved to Tennessee. But I, my soon-to-be husband's family is in Ventura. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks for, thanks yeah. for correcting <laughs> me on that one. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about the training and the elements within training. Let me just put it this way. If, say, you hadn't made this foray into road running in 2023. Say this was all this happened. And in 2023, you said, you know what? I'm not going to do the road of the trials thing. I said, I'm just going to stick to the trails, do all that. How would the, would the impact of the snow been as, I don't know, as cumbersome as it is now? No, <laughs> definitely <laughs> not. Um, just because like, you know, training for Boston, I have to be on the roads more and moving my legs fast. So I committed to like a lot more treadmill running, uh, even during the storms. I have some funny clips that I actually like couldn't share in the moment because I still hadn't announced Adidas yet. But there was this week where I was literally, our cars were, you know, under eight feet of snow. So I couldn't get my car out, um, nor were any of the roads plowed. And so I would 
you know, jog and run to the gym, but much of that jog was like snow up to my knees because they couldn't like plow anything and you didn't want to be in the roads because it was like whiteout conditions. Um, and so that's probably something that if I was trail running, uh, maybe I just would have like gone out and done some like skinning or, you know, some other snow sport thing. But I was just like really committed to, you know, hitting the treadmill so I could actually run, run. <laughs> was there was there any treadmill sessions where you weren't like cursing yourself for signing up for the Boston Marathon? You're like, oh my God, <laughs> no. why am I doing this? <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> yeah, I definitely am going to be pulling from those moments during the race. Um, especially the ones where, you know, I kind of was the only one at the gym because I was the only one willing to walk or jog to the gym in these storms and the gym employees being kind of like, what is this girl doing here? Uh, and I had... It's so funny. I've never been on a treadmill so much in my life, so much so that I actually got to the point where I have favorite treadmills now, like, you know, based on the, <laughs> the tread of the treadmill, um, how quickly they can pick up speed and how well they're calibrated. Uh, I just feel like a treadmill nerd now. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's been quite a journey. And I would say there's like a place in my gym next to this wall that I just feel like that became my best friend. <laughs> Oh my God, that is funny. Yeah, I can, I can imagine, especially if it if when the treadmill calibration is off, and especially if it's like off and from a slow perspective, I feel totally. like that is like a double whammy. Totally. Yeah. So I had like one treadmill that I knew would pick up, you know, enough speed in three seconds, and then another treadmill that I was like, oh, eight seconds out from when my rep starts, I should start picking up the speed, uh, you know, because different people in the gym and stuff. Oh my God, that is hysterical. All right, so. You're, so as you're preparing for the Ventura half, were you looking at that as a race to potentially qualify for the trials or was that merely a stepping stone to Boston? Yeah, it was definitely a stepping stone because, you know, most of my work up to that point, I would say like 95% of it was on the treadmill um, or on the snow, which when I run on the snow, it's pretty pretty slow, you know, uh, compared to what I would run on the road, I guess you would say. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a surprise. And that half was definitely earlier than we wanted to do a half, just like in the whole big training block of things. But I had some other life things like I had my bridal shower and like different things for my wedding, where that it was either that weekend or the weekend before were the only two weekends that worked for me. Um, so I would say like, in the big scope of things, like it was a little early. Um, but yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised, which was really nice. The timing of your fiance walking into the room as you're mentioning your bridal shower was hysterical. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he like opens up the door, like sees you sees you on the podcast talking bridal shower, he like immediately closes it. It's like, see you later, I'm out of here. Um, so all right, so you had the the timing of it wasn't ideal. You have <laughs> incredibly difficult training conditions that don't mimic anything that you've done in the past. So as you're going into Ventura. How could you even think about a race plan or like what paces to run? And considering that, like, even the from a competition perspective, wasn't what you hope. Well, it wasn't exactly what you'd expect, um, especially comparing it to Las Vegas. So, how did all that combine into coming up with a race plan um, going into this? Yeah. So essentially with like the Ventura course, it like starts a little downhill, um, which was one of the things that I 
was lacking in my training at Mammoth, at least up until that point, because like I really couldn't run on the roads. Um, and that's something that we really wanted to make sure that my body could handle for Boston, like especially the beginning part. Um, and then after that, it like gets a little hilly and then it flattens out. And so my coach basically just said like, hey, let's shoot for, you know, 535 to 540 and just see if your body can run that pace and then you know, see if you could take that into the rolling hills and then really like try to pick it up the last 5k when it's flat and just see like what you have left. Um, and if you, you have nothing, we get an answer. If you have something, we have an answer. Like regardless, we're going to figure out where you are because even for him, he's like, I've never given anyone so many treadmill workouts. He's like, I, I'm a little flabbergasted at this point as far as like where your fitness actually is. Um, He's like, I have a, he's like, you could be in like 113 shape or you could be in 118 shape. We don't know. Um, so yeah, it was actually really nice because he was there. And so we started and I felt really good. Um, but I kept telling myself like, okay, it's only three miles. It's only four miles. Then we hit the hills and I was like, okay, those, those kind of felt okay. Like not as good as I thought they would feel, but, um, the pace was still the same. And then once we got into the last 5k, uh, I brought it down to like 520s pretty much the whole last 5k which is like on the heels of my PR um so that was like the most telling you know of, of all the things that I was able to pick it up and yeah and then when I came into the finish I kind of um was like my jaw dropped a little bit even though I was in a lot of pain I was like is that is that like 112 that I'm seeing on the like I was totally tur- I was like what the heck um so that was cool Right, we should say if you had gone under one twelve, I don't know if this is a if it's an OTQ course or not, but if you had gone under one twelve, that would have qualified you for the trials right there. Yeah, yeah, and I kind of was joking with my coach. I was like, "Why did we sign up for Boston? I should have just done a half in like six <laughs> weeks or eight weeks." Because <laughs> it it honestly it gave me a lot of confidence. The fact that like you know the. Uh, intention and the direction from him was to hold back so feeling like I was holding back until that last 5k and then to finish in the way that I did uh, it kind of just gave me a whole burst of confidence that I did not have starting this training block you know suddenly in my head I'm like oh maybe I could go 112 you know in six weeks or maybe I could go close to 111 and so my brain was like dang Danny like we can we can do this like it, it was kind of this realization that I, you know, subconsciously wanted to, to believe, but it's one thing when you actually like are close to it. Yeah. You don't, you don't need faith anymore. Now you yeah. just, now you just know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about managing pace, right? So you're if people who didn't listen to the first episode or don't know you, you're a trail runner, right? So a sub ultra trail runner is where you make your bonus. You're one of the best in the world at this. So again, when you're talking about trails, obviously managing in the moment pacing isn't really something you think about from a watch perspective, right? It's much more by feel. It's about the competition. So you have that as your background. You're going into this race, not knowing exactly what your fitness is and what this is going to mean. So how did you manage your pace and what was your relationship to your watch during this race? Yeah. Um, pretty much after the fourth mile, I clicked it to my heart rate. Cause that's what I'll look a lot at um during trail races during like climbs and stuff um and then kind of just like feeling the rhythm and then you know a couple miles later I clicked back down to make sure that like I was still hitting the pace and stuff um but yeah I think from like mile six to ten um 
it wasn't it wasn't incredibly difficult because I did have like men around me as well that were hitting the same pace, uh, which was really nice. And that was also incentive because um, there was kind of like a couple of men from Santa Barbara that I knew that in the back of my head, I really wanted to beat um, <laughs> just to, like, you know, my old town that I was in. And then there was also this like group from Los Angeles. Uh, I think they were part of the Valor Track Club that started rolling up on us with like five miles to go and so and it was all it was all men so I just was like oh it's like where I grew up and then you know the town that I was out afterwards and let's see how many guys I can beat so that was helpful too oh yeah again that competition in there is great yeah absolutely all right so do you have um also does your do you have so your watch shows you notifications like at like a certain mile or at a kilometer or things like that um, just like every mile, it gives me a split, um, okay. but I don't have any like feeding. I know some watches have that, um, that I kind of do like intuitively. Yeah. So were you looking down at every mile split? Like whenever it beeped? Um, pretty much. Yeah, I would say yeah. so. I was, this is something that I haven't delved too deep in the past with pros, but I'm going to do more so in this in the scope of uh, the Road to the Trial series is figuring out how people manage their watch. And I feel like this thing can be, it's so interesting, like when it matters, when it doesn't matter, how you use it, right? You clicking over to heart rate, but also seeing like the, still seeing the notifications every mile. Uh, and I also wondered, like, when we talk about Boston, again, the same sort of thing. Like at what point does the watch become superfluous? And it's just like, hey, it's just time to go hard now. Right. Versus like, hey, I want to manage my effort or see how things are are happening. So you come in, your jaws, your jaw drops, you see the time, you're, you're in the 112s. This is incredibly fast. Once you cross the finish line and you kind of get your wits about you, what was your analysis of the race in terms of where where things are going for you, the training that preceded it and what it meant for your Boston preparation? Yeah, I would say at that point, what I was most nervous about was speed um, and just like my legs being able to, you know, change paces still. Um, and so I felt like I got that answer. And so at that point, it was kind of just like, okay, now we just need to keep getting stronger. Not necessarily where I'm holding 535s for a marathon, but where like a little bit slower than that, can I hold this even further? Because um, always after a race, I'm like, okay, I, I left as much as I could out there because of the last 5k. But what if those resources were allocated a little bit differently, you know, and I had started a little faster than settled in and then picked it up again. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, in the end, I just got the answer that, you know, the speed is there and we just need to keep, you know, getting stronger, mostly for the hills and like being able to go that fast after the hills. Yeah. Let's talk about that because Someone with your background, hills, I mean, you're, forget hills, you're used to running a mountains. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Hills are for amateurs. You're, you're, you're a pro. You're, uh, you know, you're, you're rocking the mountains. So as you're getting ready for Boston, again, I say this tongue in cheek, because obviously it's all relative. And, you know, the hills in Boston, especially if you're running, if you're redlining, like going up even the moderate hill can, can, can push, push anyone over the edge. So totally. how are you getting ready for those hills? Or how did you get ready? I should say, because we're, you know, you're going to be running this race in five days. Um, how, how did you get ready for those hills? And how did that vary at all from your mountain mountain race preparation? Yeah, I would say one of the most key things was I went to Santa Barbara for two weeks. 
um, or just a little shy of two weeks. And while I was there, I got to train with um, with Curly, uh, another person who's on road to the trials. And, you know, our coach with Terry Howell. And there's a group there that, you know, Curly trains with all the time that's part of blue collar running. And so um, they graciously helped pace me for a couple of my bigger workouts, which we wanted to do at sea level to, again, just like, I keep saying boost my confidence, but it's more so that um, this is just a whole new world for me, Uh, you know, being on the roads and trying to figure out like, you know, where am I at? Um, And so there was this one longer workout, I want to say it was like 22 miles or something like that, um, where we did like a 10 mile faster pace. Uh, I think it was, we were supposed to run between like 612 and 615 pace, so nothing that's like you know, really difficult for me at this time. Uh, even just a couple of years ago, that would have been my tempo pace, which was pretty cool. Um, and then we did like a mile easy. And then what's really cool in Santa Barbara is we have this road called Cathedral Oaks. That's very much like punchy, rolly climbs. And, you know, when we are looking at it, we're like, oh, the grade is very similar to uh, the Newton Hills. And so we like timed it in this whole course that Curly helped plan out um, to hit those hills at a very similar time when we were going to hit them in the marathon. Um, And so that was actually extremely helpful for me because to see how much time I have before those hills even come, uh, whereas in you know, traditionally in mountain running, I'm starting a hill climb within like the first three miles. Um, and that's like one of the first aspects. It's rare that you have a course that runs for, you know, 15 or so miles before you like really start climbing. Uh, there's literally none that come to mind. And so just getting used to like, uh, being patient, uh, before those come. And honestly, my most favorite part about that was then afterwards we kind of like transitioned to a downhill and I don't know for whatever reason I thought Boston ended on the hills but it actually ends on a downhill and I just got so happy because in mountain running you always like again like 95% of the time you finish on a long downhill and that I would say is my strength like that is my happy spot that's where I usually catch people that's where my competitors know like if I'm close like you better watch out because like I just love hammering that last downhill and so um, it was kind of like this cool surreal moment where my brain was like no like (laughs) this is really familiar to transition to a final downhill Um, so yeah we ended that workout like on a good note and Curly's like yeah if you feel like that for Boston like you know there's still people to, to like potentially catch and stuff that lasts you know three to five miles or so. Yeah, that is exciting. You're right. Yeah, I'm thinking about all the, the mountain races that I follow. You're exactly right. That's exactly how it works out. And uh, it is really exciting for you to be able to kind of compare and contrast that from a time on feet perspective. Again, we're talking roughly, you know, two and a half hours or so. Are there certain races that you've done in the past that mimic the length of this race? Yes, definitely. Um but it's, you know, usually half the distance, like 10 right. to maybe 15 miles. <laughs> are, what, what are some of the, the ones that come to mind first when you think about races that are roughly two and a half hours that you've done in the past? Um, Broken Arrow, depending on the conditions, uh, that's a 23K up in Lake Tahoe where you pretty much climb up to 10,000 feet or so. And then that is descend. like one of the, one of, if not the most beautiful race, like 
in the yeah. Continental 48. That is like an astoundingly beautiful race. I mean, you have to climb up ladders at certain points. I mean, it's, it's incredibly difficult, but it is a great yeah. one to watch. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, Flagstaff Sky Peaks last year, that was about two hours and change. Um, it's very similar in a ski resort. You climb up to the peak and then you descend down. Um, Canyons 25K is another one. That one's really runnable. Um, but yeah, those ones are interesting because they're always going to be longer than you think they're going to be it, from like a staying focused and in tune with the race the entire time. So how have you practiced nutrition for race day and how does it differ from what you've done in any of those races in the past? It's, it's so different. Um, for me, it's been a really funny experience because I just want to carry everything I'm used to carrying everything and I was I did like some specific bottle practice um and in my head I'm like why wouldn't I just like carry a vest and like have it with me the entire time so I don't have to worry about grabbing these things uh I never have to grab anything it's already all with me so admittedly I'm a little nervous for that like I am okay with chaos, but just like, you know, someone actually, somebody's like, someone could take your bottle or something like that. Did you and practice it, like, did you, did you practice like bottle on table, picking it up and going? I did. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, I would say that's one of the most foreign things to me, um, in this whole process. And, uh, yeah. Also one of the weird things for me is I normally eat like a lot of actual food, um, you know, stopping at aid stations and, and gels and stuff like that. Whereas I found for this type of running, like the liquid calories are really ideal because you're just going so fast. Um, I'm still going to have like a couple gels here and there. Um, but yeah, I definitely worked with my body consuming more of like the liquid stuff. Uh, so that's definitely new for me too. <laughs> and what kind of liquid calories are you going to be having? Like, is there a certain brand that works well for you or that you're sponsored by? And is there certain concoctions that work well for you? Yeah, I'm going to do spring energy, um, but it's going to be a little bit more watered down than usual because I'm using like the little ketchup boys <laughs> uh, condiment things. Just I, I found like those are pretty easy and they are the oh, right like, size. Oh, like the little like, containers you see like at a diner? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. I like that. <laughs> um, so yeah, it'll just be a little bit more watered down than I normally do for trail. Normally trail, it's like pretty dense because... It's just, I don't know, it's more calories, uh, a bit easier. So, yeah, I'll be doing that with, like, a couple of the gels that they have. So is it watered down so that it, like, sprays out easier? Exactly, yeah. Oh, okay. Because it's pretty thick, like, their type of um, powder, yeah. Okay, and then you said you're going to carry some gels. Is that going to be, are you going to be having them at at specific designated points, or are they just kind of whenever you're, you're feeling like you can take it without, like, you know, you're not going up a hill or you're not redlining and it'd be like a pain in the butt to tear open or things like that. Exactly. Yeah. More of the latter, um, just in case like I miss a bottle or something. Um, and I'm going to like rubber band a couple of them to my bottles too. Uh, so I have them, but I'll probably carry like four and those are kind of like my, in case of emergency. Also just because the weather's all over the place too right now. Um, and so depending on what it is like if it does end up starting with rain and like getting hotter uh i find i do better if i like eat a lot more earlier and so in which case i'll probably eat all those four within like the first half marathon but 
if the weather ends up being like hotter the whole time, then I'll kind of like spread them out. So it gives me like a little bit more freedom, which is, <laughs> I feel like the whole uh, thing of this marathon is everything is so, yeah, I don't have everything. It's like my control is a little lost, which is kind of interesting. It's a different type of control. <laughs> Do you feel like your background running in the mountains where talk about weather changes, like things can shift very quickly in mountains um, that that allows you to maybe be more comfortable with like how Boston has such wildly different um, weather conditions, how things can change so quickly. I would definitely say so. Um, There hasn't been like at least anything for me personally on the forecast that has been like a downer at all. I'm like, Oh, if it rains a little bit or if it's a little heavy in the morning, like, It'll just make it more fun because, yeah, I have been in some really gnarly weather um, on on actual mountain tops while you know <laughs> it's hailing or something. So being in a in a street environment and it raining a little bit doesn't really bother me. And plus, like I would say, if I did train outside, it's been really windy and or raining. You know, even if I go south, so it's pretty much what I've been in all winter. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like a lot of this comes down to just mentality. Like once you have like the right gear, and just like say that's like the barometer. Like obviously you need to have the right gear, right? Yeah. Once you have that, like it's all just about like mentality and expectations. I would assume. Yeah, I would definitely say so. And for me too, like I feel a little blessed and and gracious in the sense that like this is fun for me in that like. I don't know. There's really no, no one's expecting me to like go out there and get top five or 10. So, um, I feel like I don't have as much pressure as some athletes. So maybe that's like, you know, an extra positive for me. Um, my goal is to get the qualifier and I feel that I prepared to, that I can get the qualifier in like any condition. So just, you know, put me in it and and I'll make it work. All right. We'll talk about race day. Like, race day, race weekend, like logistics and strategy and how you like to do it in a second. But since you, you brought it up right now, it, I, we'll just dovetail right into it. What is your race day strategy about how to approach, you know, the different parts of the course to allow yourself to get the uh, the Charles qualifier? And, and I guess from, just from a time-based goal perspective, are you married to that or is the goal somewhat uh, different than just getting the qualifier? Yeah, I would definitely say for me, first and foremost, is just like running my race. Um, I think, you know, recognizing that everyone's agendas are are different and mine's probably different from everyone else's in the field. Um, And I'm not like a big PR person, you know, like, so I'm just going to see as the race goes and I feel like I'm naturally competitive. So if I see an opportunity to catch people, um, and it might be a little bit risky, I will probably go for it <laughs> just because that's in my nature. Um, but yeah, I feel that if the conditions are good, like I could definitely get under the qualifier, which would be fun. Um, but I would say like I feel a little bit more on the protective side, uh, at least like in the first 15 miles that that's what you know I'm out there to do. Is there anyone in the field that you could see yourself maybe running with at, at certain points, either because your fitness or talents align or just because you know them really well or anything like that? Uh, sadly, no. <laughs> I just don't know a lot of people. Uh, my one friend that is going to be there, Nick Gate, 
Brinkman. She's from the Netherlands. Uh, you know, I'm just going to be realistic. I probably won't be running with her this marathon. Uh, she's had a tremendous training block, but I'll definitely be training from her. But yeah, I and don't she's really... running the low 220s last year, right? Yeah, so she ran 222. She has the uh, national record uh, for the Netherlands. So yeah, she's going to be up there, which I'm really excited to watch her um, post <laughs> in the TV, <laughs> not in the race. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really know anybody. Gotcha. All right. Well, it'll be exciting to watch. That is for sure. All right. Let's talk about the logistics of race weekend. Because first of all, when are you flying into Boston? Um, On Wednesday, actually. So I'll get there Wednesday night. Okay. So what do you like to do? So you have, again, so you're, at this point, you're going to have four-ish days before race day. Um, so what plans do you have? Maybe sponsor obligations or other things going on? And what are, the, what are the things that you like to do heading into a race weekend to get you ready for that day? Yeah, so I'll be staying like a little outside of Boston. Uh, whenever I get to like a race earlier, I am never like really in the epicenter at first. I kind of just like being in other places and not until like the day before the day of the race. Um, I don't have any sponsor obligations, which is kind of nice um, because like I technically am like a mountain athlete. Um, and so Terex like isn't doing any activations or anything like that. Um, and they'll mostly be doing stuff with like the Adidas road people. And yeah, my parents are coming and my fiance is coming and we're just going to hang out, I guess. Um, and then I think it's Sunday we have like an elite meeting where like, you know, you drop off your bottles and they go over like the last course logistics and everything. Uh, make sure you know where to go on Monday for the bus. And then, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'll definitely be checking out parts of the course, though, um, because I personally am like a visual person. Uh, so I want to actually like see it, especially because I've never ran the course before. That's exactly what I was going to ask you if you'd ever been on the course. Um all right, that's that's good to know. I can imagine getting a first-hand look at it would be would be nice, especially for a, a course that has like the rolling elements in it, right? So totally. you have like this part where you're like, all right, you're downhill and it's basically flat for like eight miles, but like it's not like pancake flat. You know what yeah. I mean? It's <laughs> nice to get a, a sense of the, the hills and the rolling nature of it. I would assume. Yeah. No. Hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, all right. So the fact that you don't have sponsor obligations that is like a huge win, right? Especially with Adidas being like. <laughs> The, the main sponsor of the race. Yeah. <laughs> Snuck out of that one. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? So that's, that is fantastic. So good for you. All right, let's talk about race day morning. All right, so just from a timing perspective, what can you see yourself doing in terms of like timing, like time to get up in the morning and like your, you know, I guess like, well, let's talk about the night before. Like, I guess like night before, the food you like to have, like going to bed, waking up, like I guess like, the 12 hours before the gun goes off, what what are you doing that morning and how is that aligned with like your guess your best practices, I guess? Yeah. Um, I will definitely be cooking, you know, on Sunday night. I like just having my own food and stuff. Uh the night before races. Usually I'll do like pasta or rice, um, with fish. And I usually pre keep it pretty simple. I don't normally include like too many vegetables, at least for dinner. Like sometimes I'll do like stuff for lunch and stuff like that. Um and yeah, at that point, like I really don't like to think about the race. Like I'll normally just like watch a movie or two uh, before I go to bed. Um, at that point, like I quote unquote, like go to sleep, like, you know, like my brain, like from the race, like I kind of get a sedated persona about myself. Um, 
and like I get very inward um, and I think that's because I'm a very I think I'm very like emotionally tied to races um, in like I just love I love racing and competing so I need to like reserve that energy which my parents are very used to <laughs> when I was little they're like why do you get so quiet because I usually talk quite a bit and then they started to realize they're like oh this is how she gets ready for races um, and then yeah race morning I'll wake up probably a couple hours before we head to the bus um, eat some oatmeal and I really like listening to like very calm kind of like trancey music and just starting to like wake up my body um, probably like just a little bit of coffee because a lot of my food will have caffeine in it um, and then we'll head over and I'll yeah keep listening to music I'm very I like listening to music a lot all right. So, what what movies? Especially what what genre? And then, like, you know, there are certain go to movies. I know people are probably they want to know this because I'm 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 all about this. I can't wait to know. Um, it's all over the place. I would say I would say the movie that is most like there's two movies. Miracle is a really good one, and Sea Biscuit. Like Sea Biscuit is like my all time pump up movie. <laughs> to tell you the truth, um, I just love that movie so much. So I'll throw that in here and there. Um, so does this dovetail like with it. like how like you view yourself as an athlete? Is like the come come from behind, like don't yeah. sleep on me kind of feel to it? <laughs> I think so. When that movie came out, I definitely personified myself as Sea Biscuit because I was still really quite small, like in my class, um, and so I just like you know, grabbed onto that and have hung on to it for years. And I think <laughs> for anyone who's watched it, uh, the war, the race between him and War Admiral is just like one of the greatest races of all time. So you could watch, I watched that one or like the YouTube version, which is like the actual race itself. This is really cool. I like that. I love how you, you, you think of yourself, like, I like your framing as like, you're an underdog. So like, you're one of the best runners in the world. But, but, but I'll, hey, whatever works, man. Whatever gets you out the door and gets you excited, you know? I, I'm all about it. Thanks. Well, this is really exciting. I'm, Good luck to you, Danny. I can't wait to follow along. Uh, obviously, we'll connect after the race to see, you know, the ins and outs of how it went and your reflections on the race day. But first of all, safe travels, and I hope everything goes your way over Marathon Weekend. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Yeah, looking all forward right. to chatting after. Last thing, we were to mention this. Not only are you doing the Road of the Trials, which is great, you have your own podcast now. So we didn't get a chance yeah. to talk about this last time because it hadn't <laughs> launched yet. Tell me about what you're doing from a podcasting perspective. Yeah, so me and my friend MK Sullivan uh, started this podcast called The Sub Hub, which is under Free Trail, uh, which is kind of like a media group in the trail space. If people aren't aware, there's already two podcasts under Free Trail. There's actual Free Trail, um, which was started by Dylan Bowman. He's also the CEO slash founder of Free Trail. Um, and then there's also Trail Society, which includes uh, three women also in the sport. And that's kind of more focused on like, science-based slash social issues in the sport and like bringing different guests on board um and so yeah ours is the third podcast in this array which is really exciting and we talk about uh the sub ultra space which is are the races that me and mk like to do and it's any race under 50k um and as we've chatted before like it's just a very growing niche i wouldn't even call it a niche soon like 
area in the sport because there's more and more opportunities, you know, um, financially for people to be supported for these race distances. Uh, they most commonly are the VK, 20 to 25K, and then you kind of have that like 30 to 50K, and we kind of stretch the rules a little bit with a couple of 50Ks um, that just we think you know, deserve a lot more love. Uh, and what's also really cool is there's kind of like this new next gen coming into the sub ultra space because of those opportunities of just really great NCAA athletes or cross country skiers, uh, for example, who, you know, are on the US team, etc. Um, and so yeah, we like interview people, we do like different topics of how to get involved in sub ultras, uh, which will be coming out soon. We're going to do like a training series and slash coaching series, talking to some coaches who have had uh, ath like successful athletes in this space, etc. Um, and we have a, a couple more other things in play. Um, but yeah, the podcast is like just the start of it. I think it's great. I'm, I'm I'm so into this. You guys do a great job. It's it's Thanks. no wonder why they why they greenlighted this so quickly from concept to hey we're, yeah. <laughs> we're putting this out. Um, and it's just a great idea because I think it's a wonderful uncoupling of the idea of ultra and trail. Right, like there is trail ultra, but trail is so much bigger than that. In fact, most people who do trail running don't do ultras. So yeah. this uncoupling of the two is absolutely fantastic. So kudos to you and MK for getting this done. I think it's just fantastic. People should really check it out. Uh, you do an absolutely phenomenal job. And I love it too because all, all the races I'm signed up for in 2023 are trail races. And most of them are sub-ultras. <laughs> so I'm really <laughs> excited about this. Um, so I'm actually using it in my own my own training. So again, this isn't about me. This is Road of the Trials. I'm exact. I'm literally the opposite of that. So we're not going <laughs> to linger on that point. But this is a wonderful thing, and especially with the trail team and how you guys focused on that for a while, and seeing people like like yourself, and you know even other people who've like say like Grayson Murphy, right, who was yeah. on the road and then goes to trail, but does a lot of the, the sub ultra stuff uh, while also running half marathons, just like you. She also ran a, a, a very uh, very speedy half marathon herself. I think this is absolutely fantastic. So uh, I love the fact that you saw an opportunity to say, hey, this part of the sport needs to get more media attention. You said, well, we're going to do it. And that's yeah, exactly. the, 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 the entrepreneurial spirit of it all uh, is just absolutely fantastic. So kudos to you too. Thanks, Matt. Really appreciate that. All right. So, Again, thank you so much for doing this. I can't wait to talk after the race and good luck with the podcast. Thanks. <laughs> talk to you after.